Thank you. Join me in John's Gospel, John chapter 19, where we've been the last three or four weeks and asking the Lord to bless the service uh, this morning. John chapter 19, and we're going to be in verse number 38, uh, verse number 38 through verse number 42. John 19, verse 38 through verse number 42. The Bible says also, keep your thumb there. You don't have to turn over here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus uh, was, of course, Christ preached, or, or Jesus, rather, was preached by the Apostle Paul. And he preached the resurrection. It was really the witnesses of the resurrection. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I uh, preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved. So it's the salvation, it's the, the gospel. Believing the gospel is what brings salvation. And he said, And if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, notice that phrase, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Over in John chapter 19, verse number 38, the Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, and came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And then took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden. And in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man laid, yet laid. And there laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father we thank you for the opportunity to come and preach for a few minutes this morning. And Lord, my prayer is that we will focus on the Scripture, put out any distractions, any uh, things, Lord, that's at home or, or in life itself. But Lord, we'll focus on 
the message at our this hour. Lord, I pray that you'll help us, God, in this uh, message that we'll not just hear the word, but that, Lord, we'll be doers of the word. And, Lord, for everything that uh, comes from this, may you be glorified. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says in, in, in John 19 that he was buried. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, and that he was buried. Now, I want you to keep in mind that it had been a very tiring event for the Lord, everyone else involved as well. The day had begun just a few minutes after midnight. And it was about 12.30 in the morning when Judas led the soldiers to the garden uh, of Gethsemane where the Lord, Jesus, was arrested. Just Jesus faced six trials. He faced three religious trials. He faced three civil trials where he was dragged from place and he was beaten and he was bruised for almost eight hours. And during that eight hours, it was uh, basically uh, a beating, what the Bible calls it a scourging. He was slapped. He was tortured. He was uh, beaten and spat upon. Then between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, Pilate turned Jesus over to the soldiers to crucify him. And by 9 a.m., Jesus is on the cross. Now, he would remain on the cross until 3 o'clock in the afternoon when he breathed his last breath and said, as we examined last week, it is finished. But there was a problem. There was a problem when Jesus was on the cross and he had given his last breath and he had, uh, he had given up the ghost and he had died. There was a problem because the Jewish high and holy day of the Passover was at hand. And according to that law, the body must be removed from the cross before sundown when the Jewish Sabbath began. So the body of our Lord had to be taken off the cross and put in a tomb by 6 p.m. They literally had three hours to do all the work of taking the body down and preparation of the body and placing the body inside the tomb and closing the mouth of the tomb. But who would do it? Who would be the one that would actually do all this work and getting the body off the cross and preparing the body and wrapping it and placing it in this tomb. Who would do all that? Well, we see two men in our text. The Bible says in verse number 38, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And then in verse 39, the Bible says another man that we're a little bit more familiar with by the name of Nicodemus. Both of these men were of the Sanhedrin. The Bible tells us in all four Gospels accounts, it, it tells us about the burial of our Lord and Savior, and it adds a small detail to every story, if you will. Maybe a different view is what we like to, like to say it. Now, if we think about our death, if we think about our funeral, uh, like, for instance, when a loved one dies, we uh, maybe a man from the funeral home, depending on what funeral home you choose, will come and he'll pick up the body and the family picks out the casket and he picks out the clothes and he, he wants to uh, make sure that his loved one looks nice and so they have a viewing and they make all of this available for people to look presentable. 
A notice of death is then submitted to a newspaper or maybe online and and people can look at the times of the viewing or receiving of friends and they maybe have a little obituary or maybe went to high school and who they married and, and what their children's names were. Maybe even their grandchildren is listed in this obituary. Then the songs are chosen for the funeral service. Maybe a comforting scripture is chosen and a preacher offers a prayer at this 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 uh, service and then uh, a eulogy and consoling words. And then they go to the cemetery. They follow the hearse to the cemetery and they have some more maybe brief words and maybe a a closing prayer and maybe the reading of Scripture. And then that, that minister will come by and shake the hands of the family and tell them that he is praying for them. That's not how this happened. Now, that's what we expect in our culture. I know every culture is a little different when how they do funerals. I've been to funerals in different places. I've been to funerals in different denominations and how they do different things. But I'm used to kind of how our family has done it and how our church family has chosen to do it. And, and this is just how things happen. But none of that happened when Jesus was buried. Matter of fact, a very small crowd attended this little service. Maybe... Five to ten people at the most. I, I, I read, and at least I gather in the Gospels, that Joseph and Nicodemus and some women were there. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, uh, Joseph and Salome, and, and mother. Uh, she was the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder. And maybe some of the other women were there. We're not really sure. But John and Mary, we, we believe that they had done left by the time of the burial. And there's just a small little group of people. None of his family members that we know of are there. His half-brothers or sisters, we're not sure, but we don't think that they're there. None of his disciples are even there, really, at this little burial. Just some friends and two disciples that we would call secret disciples, not inner disciples, but these men by the name of Joseph and Nicodemus. I want to preach to you this morning on a little phrase out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that he was buried. We often preach about the cross, and we should. The cross of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the blood that was applied, the suffering, the beating, the nails, the crown of thorns, and all those things. But often we'll preach about the resurrection, and that's great. Hey, he's alive, and every Easter we, we celebrate the resurrection. We ought to celebrate it every day. I mean, it's a great thing. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. But what about the time in between the burial of our Savior? Paul included that as a great doctrine. Not only did Jesus die, but he was buried. And three days later, he arose. There would be no resurrection without a burial, right? So the burial of Christ is very, very important. I want you to notice several things about the fact that Jesus was buried. The first thing we come to is the preparation of his burial, the preparation of his burial. See, the Romans, when they crucified a man, they left the body on the cross to rot. 
They did not care about taking care of a corpse. It was a criminal. Uh, Why would we take care of his body and place him in a tomb? Tombs were made for wealthy people. Tombs were not given to criminals. And Jesus was crucified like a criminal. And so if it were up to the Romans, they would have left Jesus on the cross. They would have left his body uh, to rot. The birds of the air would have come and plucked the flesh off the cross. Or maybe some old dogs would have came, some wild dogs. and, And eventually that body would decay and fallen off the cross and those dogs would have feasted upon that decaying body. That's all the Romans cared about. They would have took that carcass, they would have thrown that carcass in a place called Gehenna and it would have burned right outside of Jerusalem. They didn't care about a criminal. They didn't care about a person on a cross. But Jesus, His body was to be spared according to Isaiah the prophet. His body was not to be broken. His body was not to be corrupted. His body was not to be rotten. And the Bible says that his body in death would be buried with the rich. Isaiah chapter 53. So this is a prophetic thing. This is something that is happening and that assured Jesus the best care. This is God prepared men, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, Nicodemus, a wealthy man, and and he prepared these men to fulfill prophecy. God the Father made an arrangement with the Lord's burial. These two unlikely men cared for the body of Christ, Joseph and Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. So the Bible says some good things about Joseph and Nicodemus. The Bible says that they had position, and the Bible says they had wealth. They were both religious leaders with fine character. They were both disciples, the Bible says, of Christ. But there was one glaring defect in the life of both of these men. I want you to pay attention. I'm just laying some groundwork. The message itself is very brief. There's one glaring defect, and it's found in our text in verse number 38. Let's read that again. The Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. I believe this one glaring defect that that they had, they both possessed, was that they lacked courage. In a time when they should have stood for Christ, In a time when people were were maybe mocking and jeering, no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus was in that crowd when the crowd was yelling, crucify him. The Sanhedrin, the religious... And I'm not sure, I I don't think that these men, that they were men of character. Mark has some good things to say. Matter of fact, Mark chapter 15 calls Joseph and calls uh, Nicodemus upright men. Mark chapter 15 and verse number 43, John and Matthew says that they were prominent members of the council. Matthew chapter 27 and John chapter 19, they were prominent members of the council waiting for the kingdom of God. I mean, them are good things. But there was one problem that they had. They were secret. Luke says that they had not consented unto the decision to put Jesus to death. Luke chapter 23. But no matter how you slice it, they were disciples, but they were secret 
disciples. You say, well, why were they secret disciples? Well, uh, it's really no secret now, but John says in verse 38, for fear of the Jews. So in John 12, it talks about that many were secret because they loved men, the praises of men, more than the praise of God. And may I stop right there? When we get so enamored with the praise of men more than the praise of God, that is a dangerous place to be. I don't seek your praise. And I'm thankful for uh, those of you that are encouragers and those of you that say good things. I was talking to my wife yesterday about some things, and she said, I said, honey, isn't it amazing that very few people, if any, ever come to the pastor with good news? They don't. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being very serious. Very few people in our church say, Pastor, I just want to let you know I love this church so much. We had such a good day. But you know what I will get? There was a problem. I don't like this. I don't like this. I'm upset about that. Now, here it is. If I was in it for the praise of men, I'd got out a long time ago. I'm not saying that you don't encourage. There's some of you that encourage me by just being here, and there's some of you encourage me by what you carry into here. And and, and don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful for you, but we need to be more encouraging. And I, I thank God if you are an encourager. We tend to be negative people. But there are some that just, if there's one thing wrong, they're going to tell you about it and let you know that they don't like it. But there may be hundreds of people that are just in love with the church but never tell nobody. There's a lot of people in love with Jesus, but they just don't show it. Uh, You say, well, well, what was the problem here? Well, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. It's the same reasons that folks are secret disciples today. They're good on Sunday. They're a Christian on Sunday, but on Monday, you wear your Jesus first la- button on the inside of your lapel. You know, I mean, your you're secret, your FBI, where I preached this week was the headquarters of the FBI. You were the FBI. You're, 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 the, you're the secret. You've got your little earpiece in and your little black suit and your black shades, and you're, you're undercover. But can I tell you this? We live in a day when folks are coming out of the closet declaring their sinful lifestyle, and they're saying, hey, look at me, I want to be recognized when Christians are going back into the closet. Ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Hey, I know some of you don't like this kind of preaching, but I like it. Listen, we need this preaching. We need to not be ashamed of the gospel. And when people are standing for the wrong things, we need to stand. Man, we need to get some backbone. Let me tell you something, fellas. This ain't in the message, but I'm going to tell you, I'm so tired of of weak and spineless men in our country. Lead your family. Man, lead your family. Quit uh, diverting everything to your wife and saying, you make all the spiritual decisions. How about you step up and lead? Come out of the closet and stand for Christ. Hey, if you're going in there to pray, then go in there to pray. But can I tell you, many people are not going in the closet to pray. They're going in the closet because they're a coward. I spoke to a man this past week who said, Pastor, I worked with a man and retired, and I got burdened for his soul. I worked at this same company for 40 years alongside of a friend. 
And he said, uh, I heard a message recently about, about salvation and about uh, uh, winning people to Christ. He said, I got burdened for my friend. And he said, I, I, I called him. His name was Bob. And I said, Bob, I'd like to meet you for some coffee. And he met Bob for, for coffee. And he sat across there and he said, Bob, I, you know, I wanted to see you, but I really got something important to ask you. Bob said, what is it? And he said, uh, I want to ask you if you die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? And Bob said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, I'd love to share it to you. And he looked at him and said, I didn't know you were a Christian. Worked with him for 40 years. Can I ask you this this morning? Does anybody know you're a Christian? Can anybody tell it? I mean, the people that you're around, We have secret disciples today. If we don't confess Christ openly and take a stand in the face of ridicule in these days, I don't see what right we have to consider ourselves any different than Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate declared that he found no fault in Jesus. Even Pontius Pilate, I believe, inwardly believed that he was the Son of God. But for the praise of men, he said, I take them off, do what you will. Can I ask you this? Do you respect Christ? Pilate respected Christ. Pilate's testimony was, I I find no fault in him, but yet he did not have the courage to take a stand in the face of adversity. The crowd chanted, crucify. We want Barabbas crucify him, but he's done no wrong, crucify him, but I find no fault in it, crucify him, okay. Let me show you the danger of being a secret disciple, and I, I know this is, uh, it's in the text, but, but I'm spending a little time there, and I'm, I'm moving on, but, but if you decide to keep your loyalty to Christ a secret, you will constantly be embarrassed. What I mean by that is when you go to your parties at work, when you're invited for this and this and this and and here you are a secret disciple, nobody knows your stand, you're not being a hypocrite and you're certainly not being condescending and pharisaical, but, but they don't know you're a Christian and they do all the things around you and you're embarrassed. It will increase your danger of failure. It will increase your usefulness fullness or decrease your usefulness. It will cause you to lose fellowship eventually with Jesus. And think how they could have profited for, for three years of intense communion. I mean, think about it. If there was 14 disciples instead of 12. I know there's a reason there was 12. But Joseph and Nicodemus were called disciples. Think about what these men would have benefited if they would have followed Christ for three years of their life. Three years. But to their credit, now this is not a message, please don't misunderstand me, this is not a message about how bad Joseph and Nicodemus was. Because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And they finished right. When the going got tough and the rubber met the road, their credit... It took courage when they went to Pilate and they asked for the body of Jesus. Now you think about it. They're Sanhedrin. They're wealthy. They're prominent. What could have happened? 
Oh, you follow him? You're wanting to honor him? You're wanting to do that to him? We just crucified him. He, he was a nuisance. He was one that up, turned everything upside. And you're wanting to side with him? Well, there you go. You'll no longer worship in the temple. And those businesses that you have, you no longer have them. They could have put them to death. But they asked for the body of Jesus. It took courage because they were prominent. And then by handling a dead body, think about this, they would defile themselves and would prevent them from participating in the Passover celebration. They were not allowed to even participate. But how the Heavenly Father's heart must have been moved and Heaven's host must have been applauding with joy to see these two uh, Jewish men uh, throw caution to the wind and, and do what was right. And even though they were silent when they should have been spoken out, even though they remained seated when they should have taken a stand, and even though they denied their faith when they should have asserted it, but no more. Now they have seemed to say, I don't care about that other stuff. We're going to get the body of Jesus, and I want to identify him with him in his life. Can I ask you this before we move on? Are you a closet Christian? Are you tired of hiding your light under a bushel? Are you tired of acting like the world Monday through Saturday, but then putting your church attire on for Sunday? Joseph comes with linen. I want you to stay with me. Joseph comes with linen. Nicodemus comes with spices. They hurry as Jesus must be buried before sundown trumpets that, that kind of uh, let everybody know that the Sabbath has begun or begun. And a sudden wave of emotion maybe crashes over both of them. They weep for the, the world that did not see. They weep for themselves and all they didn't say and all the times they could have maybe come out, but they stayed in the shadows. Joseph plants a ladder at the foot of the cross and under that cross beam he goes up a couple steps and he timidly at first looks at Jesus blood running down his body face was so unrecognizable Nicodemus watches from the ground as his robe is, is swept by a sudden gust of wind and his words that Jesus spoke unto him that said as the serpent, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Joseph lowers the body off this cross and outstretched arms of Nicodemus who's waiting at the foot of the cross who steadies himself under the weight of Jesus who has given up the ghost. And they put the body on the ground and they stand back and they maybe look for just a moment at that body that is twisted in a pose and bloodied and mangled. His head punctured by the thorns from Jerusalem. His face is swollen and discolored from Roman fist. His shoulders are pulled out of socket from the gravity of the last six hours and his hands and feet bored by seven-inch spikes that is in the boards that held up his body. The muscles are exposed, white bone in his back, his rib cage clawed from the savage uh, cat of nine tails. And Nicodemus sees before the incarnation, he, he remembers the words of the prophet Isaiah who said his visage was so marred more than any man 
and his form more than the sons of men. And they both kneel beside the servant and his body who had suffered so much and they gingerly work their wet clothes who is covered in blood stains from Jesus. And Nicodemus remembers the words of Isaiah. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid our, face, it were from, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The courtrooms of their heart they realized that this loving Jesus in private was just another way of despising him and esteeming him not. We should have, we should have done more. They start to sponge down the rib cage and they take the sponge, a wet sponge, and they would take that blood and wipe it off of his body, cleaning him up. And all of a sudden the words of the prophet Isaiah would say, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. All of a sudden they remember we've got to get this body in the tomb. The son is hurrying their work and they wrap the body in strips of linen layered in, in, in these aromas and spices and both are ashamed for not doing more to prevent this brutal tragedy. So many thoughts you could imagine going through their mind and their heart and shouldering this guilt they pick up that body and they take it to Joseph's tomb. And suddenly Nicodemus remembers one more thing from Isaiah 53. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Literally, the Hebrew reads, his grave was appointed to be with the wicked, but with the rich man he was, or his tomb. Nicodemus looks at Joseph and they realize that they had done something. They have spared the Savior's body. They had done something in the Savior's death. I'm sure they rejoiced in the fact that, hey, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And yes, God used Joseph and Nicodemus to take the body and honor the body of our Savior. His body could not be thrown in a garbage dump. His body could not be burned God the Father in His sovereignty led these men to prepare the body, would show uh, the body for the, the body's burial, and, and then His resurrection, His prepared body would show proof of the nail prints and the hands and, and the feet and the scars that was pierced in His side. And that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. And that He was buried. And that He rose again. I want you to notice, though, the second thing is this, the procedures of his burial. Look with me in verse 39. I'm almost through. And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes and spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now look at what was used to prepare our Lord's body, linen cloth. What's so significant about linen cloth? Well, linen cloth is, is a symbol of righteousness. Matter of fact, if you go over to Revelation chapter 19, uh, we talks about linen and righteousness, and, and it's associated with that. Jesus could not be wrapped in anything but linen because He is righteous. Amen? The mixture of myrrh and aloes 
There was a resin paste, and they would take that, uh, that, that, that paste, and they would pour it on the body of Christ, and it was used to seal a piece of linen to another. And then that mixture, when it dried, it created a fragrance that would help with a decaying body. You'll notice that mixture of myrrh and aloe. The Bible says that it was, a, a, in verse 39, there was a mixture about a 100-pound weight. Many commentators believe that by that measurement that Jesus, our Lord, His body would have weighed anywhere from 175 pounds to 200 pounds at the time of death. And they prepared the body by rubbing it with myrrh and aloes and then wrapping it with these linen strips. So they would rub and then they would mix that with the linen strips and that would seal it and keep the air out and the fragrance would begin. And they would wrap every inch, every square inch of our Savior's body was covered in linen. But here's the third thing and last. We see the purpose of His burial. Look with me in verse number 41. And now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man uh, yet laid. And there laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. We see the purpose of his burial. Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb. Listen to me. Jesus was placed in, is this a Baptist church? Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb. We do believe in the resurrection. In a borrowed tomb. Hey, I've been to Israel several times and look forward to going back next year. And every time we go to that garden tomb, now we don't know for sure if that's the tomb. We know they, they actually have this verse here. He was in a garden, and it's a beautiful garden, and there's, there's so many things there. It's a Christian-ran organization. But there's a tomb over there, and I've been inside it, and, and many have, and seen pictures, and I've seen the stone rolled away, and I've went in there and looked around, and by the way, he's not there. It was a borrowed tomb. Could you imagine after the resurrection, Joseph would go by, that tomb belonged to Joseph. Joseph would walk by that tomb after Jesus arose again and probably have a little worship service. Probably walk by and see that place where Jesus laid and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And probably saying, up from the grave he arose. And by going to the tomb before us, by going there before you and I, death, Jesus courageously prepared the way for our passage into beyond death. Life may be rough at times. I've seen people here this morning in the early service who have recently buried a loved one. I'm talking about in the last few weeks. I see people with cancer inside their body and people that have loved ones nigh to death and people that are going through terrible times. Life may get rough at times, but for the saint of God, when you get past the cemetery, it all gets better. It all gets better. There was a preacher down in West Texas, and he, he, he was traveling a good distance, and he came to a farmhouse and knocked on the door. He was kind of lost, and a little freckle-faced boy came to the door. This is years ago before GPSs and all that. A little boy came to the door, and he uh, inquired about directions. He said, man, I need to get to this certain destination for my next meeting. And 
that little boy looked at him and said, Mister, go right down the road about two miles. The road's pretty rough between here and there. and You'll come to a cemetery. You'll turn right and go through a cemetery, and it's pretty rough, but you'll be okay. Go on through the cemetery, and once you get on the other side of the cemetery, it all smooths out, and everything's good all the way to your destination. Friends, the road may get rough. It may seem rough right now. It may seem rough on the world front. Some of you in here, maybe your jobs are not uh, real steady and maybe there's talks of this and that and you're worried and, and maybe there's other things going on. Maybe there's things inside that, that, that you can't even express to people. It may be rough right now, but once we get through the cemetery, it's going to be okay. A preacher friend of my father's by the name of Jeff Rogers he preached in northern Mississippi years and years ago. For over 50 years, he preached in that area. The last thing that Pastor Rogers ever said was at a funeral. He read from John chapter 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. He said this, and I quote, I really don't know what those mansions look like, but soon I will. And he slumped over and passed away at a funeral. Can I say, I don't know what them mansions look like either, but I soon will. And if you're in here today and you do not know Christ, today would be a great day. Because for the life of the Christian, for the Christian, death, death is an advancement. Death is a blessing. Hey, we've, we've really never started living until we pass from death into life. And we, we just start living when we get to heaven. We live for all eternity with Jesus. No pain, no death, no sorrow, no sad news, no politics. No CNN, no Fox News, no presidents. Why? Because Jesus is king. None of the fighting, none of the scoundrels, none of the, 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 any type of, uh, of, of, of crookedness and lies and deceit. Oh, none of that will be over there. Why? Because once you get past the cemetery, it just gets so much better. And if you don't know Christ today, I plead with you, know this man that was buried. He was bruised. He was beaten for our sins. For our sins. May we not look over the burial of Christ. Let's pray.